welcome back to another episode of the TV That Changed Me podcast. I'm Beth Watson, and today we're talking about Euphoria. I'd never, ever heard of this show before until my friend Alice, who's here right now. What's up, bitches? <laughs> recommended it to me. And we had this awesome conversation about the representation, the addiction, the crazy anxiety that runs through the show. And even though I've got some opinions, I've got some criticisms of it, I am so glad I watched it. That's great, yeah. It's funny, it's it's such a funny show to think about, like, it's, I mean, I, it's, it's almost inexplicable. It's like, you can say, why not to watch it? Why not, why not, why not? But the, at the basis, at the end of it, it's like, just watch it, you're going to like it. Yeah, and I loved it. I think watching it, I really had, I just had a lot of epiphanies. There yeah. were a lot of moments where I wanted to write down the dialogue. There were yeah. a lot of moments where I felt, oh, I felt like that before. Yeah, especially stuff with the identity. You know, that the episode with Jules, mm-hmm. talking about femininity. Yeah. That got me going. Just There was something about Jules in that moment, speaking as a trans woman, saying something about, women looking at you and and checking how your what your nails look like or something like yeah. that like surveying every inch of you to see where 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 to put you in the in the in the pecking order basically yeah yeah and i think that really spoke to me so much of like times where i've been in feminine spaces and felt really alienated not because i'm like gender queer or trans but because i'm I'm just not so girly. (laughs) And I think I really felt that. And I was like, wow, that's an incredible, an incredible line. And I hadn't really considered that for myself before. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm just so excited that we were able to have this conversation. Yeah. And I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope you do too. So let's get on with the show. Hello, my name is Alice Dolan. I am a a friend of yours and uh, somebody who loves TV, I guess. Yeah, very nice. Anything else you want to say about you? Um, I like to write stuff from time to time. And because I like to write stuff, I think that I like to watch stuff too, because it's all just copying, isn't it? Amazing, amazing. So <laughs> good. Well, it's delightful to have you here. We're, we're recording in person for the first time ever on this show. I'm recording in person and it's horribly terrifying (laughs) are you feeling scared i'm feeling anxious yeah me too so we're in the same boat i can actually hear my heartbeat in my ears (laughs) 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 the professional audio like equipment is just booming my own heartbeat right in and that's the thing like i don't think i've ever been in i i feel like i look like i should be doing a good job and it's making me more anxious well yeah but the easy thing is is that it's just me and you isn't it and we have Had many conversations. Yeah, exactly. I feel like I'm losing my virginity right now. You are to me. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) That's not true. Just kidding. (laughs) As much as you would have loved that. Um, (laughs) So today we're going to talk all about the show Euphoria. Do you want to kind of, if you can, give a little premise about what that show is about? Yeah, I would love to. Okay, so... My understanding of Euphoria is this, is that it's a coming-of-age story, a little teen drama, 
And it's got all your typical players in it. You've got like the jock, you've got the new girl, you've got the sexy one, you've got the guy who's going to play football at college and all that kind of stuff. And it's about how they interact with themselves and other people. It's set in the su- a suburb of LA. In kind of like a placeless suburb, I would say. Yeah, and it's about what those guys all get up to. Yeah, and then it's underpinned by these themes of addiction, identity and love. And then it also has this like really nice little queer love story that just like runs through a little zip, like all the way through. Yeah, exactly. So that made any sense. That makes loads of sense. That makes loads of sense. And I think exactly, it's a teen story, isn't it? That's all got all of the kind of trappings and the ills and the difficult parts of being a teenager in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is that is what it is. It's funny how like I always like. It's for all of my favourite shows are like, oh, it's another teen drama and another teen drama. And I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking of, I'm like I'm trying to work out why why a teen drama is so easy to like watch when you're a teen and also when you're like not a teen. That's a really good question. And that's something I always wonder about. Like, why is there so much focus, particularly in America, about high school? When arguably it is quite, I mean, in the UK, it's a very mundane time of life. Like you're literally eating breakfast, getting up, going to school, coming back. Yeah, but it's also like this time when you, by the time you're like, I'm assuming, hate to assume, but by the time you're like 16, you're no longer like calling your parents and being like, yo, what's up? I'm going to be in it this time and out at that time. And like, can you buy me some socks from TK Maxx? Like you're, you're making those decisions. You're like becoming an adult. And then... And then you're just doing it all wrong. But like the emphasis, the, the amount of emphasis that is on teen dramas is funny because I don't in my life think about what would I do when I was 18? Like the, my teen years, my like 16 to 18, although we're obviously like developmentally important to me, it's not a thing that I'm like, oh, me at 19, what should I do in this situation? Yeah, it's so true. I also think, like, yeah, it's, I actually just realised that I, when I think of high school, I think of, like, what is in the UK secondary school, which is, like, up to 16, but it's not that, is it? It goes all the way to 18. Yeah, we're and chatting I, skins here, my love. Yeah, we're chatting skins. And skins is, yeah, the kind of college sixth form era is really important because you're figuring out how to be an adult and you're figuring out how to fall in love and you're trying to decide who you are yeah. away from your parents. yeah. And you just think you're you're a mega grown up. I thought I was so grown up and that I had it all fucking down. Joke's on me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so why are we talking? What's your relationship to Euphoria? Why are we talking about Euphoria today? Okay, this is this is one that I've actually been Okay, so I first watched Euphoria when it probably when it came out, like 2019. Friend of mine said, Oh, you gotta watch this. This is great, it's two queer people being queer. And I was like, absolutely, it's like, it's teen drama, it's great, it's great, it's great, it's great. And then I watched it, and I was like, why would anybody want me to watch this? This is the most brutal thing I've ever seen. Mm. And, but then you, then you get drawn in and you get pulled along, and then I just absolutely adored it and I loved it. And then on the rewatch this time round, like watching it with a critical eye, I was like, what, what is it about? Because you no longer, like, the flashing lights and all that stuff is, wasn't grabbing me in in the same way. I was, like, trying to figure out what is it about this that I actually love. And it was a hard, it was a hard question to answer because it is so brutal in so many ways and there are so many things about it that I'm like, really? But I think 
what I, I mean, like, I love a queer love story. And also the queer love story in this is between, like, two girls who are best friends. And it's told through the eyes of the one that falls in love with... They're, like, the one who's, like, anxious falls in love with the one that's, like, this shooting star. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, definitely for me and I think for a lot of gay gals, is just, like, you just fall in love with your best friend and it's agony. And so to, like, see that... It's fun and it's nice and you feel like, oh, I know what this feels like. To see that represented on screen is like good. So I love that. And you know what? I think I just, I love the way it makes me feel. This this show is visceral. <laughs> <laughs> this show is just like, there's every everything about it is just like this. It's so intentional. Like the dude who created it, like everything is thought out. There's no laziness in it. It's like every shot, every fucking take everything like the colors everything what's happening it just drags you drags you drags you in and you're like you're in it you're submerged and then all these brutal things happen and you can't look away from it it's like like you want it more and more and more and then you're like you're forgetting about your life you're not you're in it and then then it ends and you you go into withdrawal and then you're like oh my god this guy's a genius it's a show about addiction and here i am addicted to the show Wow. That, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's an amazing parallel. I love that. What, I mean, the, so the thing that really surprised me is when I got halfway through the show is that, so Sam Levinson. Yeah, I think that's his name. Yeah, that's his name. He's as far as I could tell from his Wikipedia, straight white cis male. Yeah. And he's written these two characters, one played by Zendaya mm. and one played by Hunter Schaefer. I think it's Schaefer. I think that's how you pronounce Schaefer. it. Schaefer. And their love story is realistic. Mm. All of the kind of traumas and issues that all of the teen girls in the show have feel really raw, feel mm. really real, feel really heartfelt. Mm. And I actually, I was like, I couldn't believe it was written by a man. I know, yeah, it's kind of a kick to the teeth, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Like, I think there's eight episodes, maybe ten episodes with the special ones in between. And I think he directed all but maybe two of them and i think that he he's the he is the main writing credit on every single one of them mm. which i mean this is like yeah that it is a kick to the teeth oh, i don't know i mean like this is like bringing up the okay so in my mind i'm like to get authentic stories you have to have lived that experience and this dude definitely hasn't lived the experience of rue mm. in terms of like rue being a person of color who was a young female addict mm. He definitely hasn't lived the experience of Jules, who was a, a young trans woman brought up in, like, Generation Z. Mm-hmm. To give them their full name, Generation Z. <laughs> <laughs> we know them as. No, <laughs> Featuring no. Generation Z, 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 Z. <laughs> no, that's a really good point. I mean, he... he doesn't have the lived experience of being a trans woman. He doesn't have the experience of being a young woman of colour. Yeah. But he has the addiction experience from what I could tell. Yeah, well, that's it, yeah. So, yeah, like, the story is about addiction mainly. Mm. And I think that's what you can... Like, that's what he's pushing. He's like, this is a story of addiction. But, well, the other stuff, yeah, that's why it's like... I Yeah, I am of the opinion that you have to write your authentic story. Otherwise, like, you're making money from someone else's, like, idea. And that's bad and wrong. And, like, I feel fine about, like, non-gay people playing gay people because, like, everyone's gay, obviously. And also, like, 
you don't know someone's lived experience, you know, whatever. For all we know, Kate Winslet, gay as the day is long. I mean, she definitely is. I mean, that much that much is true. <laughs> Have you seen Animite? Uh, no, I haven't. What, the one where she fucks Saoirse Ronan? Ronan, yeah. yeah. Dude, I, that, it, pfft, the film is shit, don't even bother, but <laughs> skip right to like 48, 31 seconds and Saoirse Ronan is truly riding Kate Winslet's face. Is that the exact timing of it? I, I hope time? so. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I would have won Gay of the Year if that is like oh Gay my Perv God. of the Year. Yeah, that is Gay Perv of the Year award winning material. Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're right. Well, it's interesting because I think actually what he does, Sam Levinson in the show, is I think there's a little bit of an element of it being colorblind casting, which is not always the best thing. Mm, how do you mean? I, I mean, like, Rue, actually, there's not a lot about race in there, and there's she doesn't really face a lot of, like, racial barriers in the show. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't really face racial barriers. So for me, it feels like Rue actually... Obviously, Zendaya is fantastic. I feel like maybe it was, like, Zendaya could have been anyone. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, anyone, yeah. anyone could have actually taken that role and made it themselves it doesn't have to be a black woman playing that role yeah and uh, yeah absolutely uh, that is absolutely true I think it would be strange for Sam Levison to be like I am going to tell you the story of what it means to be a black addict true and he hasn't done that I mean this is one of the things that I do love about Euphoria is that like yes Rue is black yes Jules is trans but that the things that are like typically like reported on when you have trans stories or like people struggle like black people struggling stories is that it focuses on how hard it is to be trans how hard it is to be black and the reality of it is is that there are hardships that come along with being trans and there are hardships that come along with being black yes but the lived experience of like black people and trans people and other people who had like deemed other types of minorities is full of life and full of joy and that is the thing that euphoria i think celebrates is that especially in relations to in relation to transness is that like people are trans and they live their life yeah like your whole life isn't being trans your whole life isn't being black your whole life isn't being poor or anything like that in the way that I think it's very easy for Hollywood and like other you know whatever to make us think that that's what it is that like one-dimensional story yeah and I think also from the sort of queer love story perspective as well I think their parents are not the barrier to their love, which mm. is a really interesting thing and a unique and fresh take. Like mm. a lot of the time coming, I think we've probably between us watched a thousand lesbian coming of age stories. One. <laughs> I don't even know what a lesbian is. <laughs> I think possibly me, you and the other queers in this bookshop where we're, <laughs> where we're recording, we've probably seen every single lesbian coming of age story that there is. Yeah. And I think like, it's always the parents are the barrier, society is the barrier. And I think what's gorgeous about euphoria and the relationship between Rue and Jules is the barrier is themselves and the barrier is the addiction and yeah. the barrier is the Rue's obsessive thinking and, yeah. and anxiety, yeah. which is so much tr truer in terms of life. I mean, it could very much well be that you're, experience hom you're experiencing homophobia from your family and you're experiencing obsession with the person you're into and you're experiencing addiction. Mm. But I like that the focus wasn't on the familial drama. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, like, obviously, people come out as being gay and it's terrible and sad and horrible. But also, for a lot of people, it isn't like that. Mm. It, and, like, sometimes 
watching like where 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 I'm gay. I'm like I'm I've had that. Mm. I've seen we've all seen Bloomin' Milk. That terrible gay love story. Sometimes it's really nice to see the other things bring them down because being. <laughs> oh God. I want to see gay people traumatized in a in variety of different ways. <laughs> I want to see them be bereaved. I want to see yes. them in car crashes. I yes. Wanna... <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. It's refreshing to like. Because I tell you what, it's not fun as being a gay person and listening to someone cry about being gay. Mm. Did that on the telly? On the telly? On the telly? Yes, in real life. Please uh, cry to me about being gay. That's my favourite thing. I was like, Al, I feel like I've definitely cried to you about being gay before. Yeah, no, I love that. Give me some more. I cry about being gay all the time. <laughs> gay, I'm literally, literally gay in the countryside. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, sad, sad, sad. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. I think so. That kind of brings us onto an interesting point of like. How much does this show reflect a real teenage experience as a Generation Zer, as we've now decided to call them? <laughs> and Wait, have you never heard of Gen Z before? Yeah, I just thought it was hilarious that you said Generation Z. Like, did I? Say yeah, you literally, like you refer. It's like calling. It's like calling someone by their full name, like Beyonce Knowles or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally, like, yeah, the generation of Dua Lipa said. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I was laughing at you. I know exactly who Gen Z are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no. And so here's a question about Gen Z, how realistic it is. Is it sort of uh, got a bit of an exploitative or almost like dodgy, titillating lens? And so in order to answer that question, I got in touch with my Generation Z correspondent, who is my partner's little sister, Louise. <laughs> and she obliged and sent us a fantastic voice memo about her thoughts about Euphoria. She was long a Euphoria fan before I asked her of this. I didn't get a 17-year-old to watch a long series about sex and drugs. Don't worry. They're already watching is the thing you need to know. So let's let's give a little listen to what Louise has to say about the teenage experience. Hello, I am Louise. I am... Beth's girlfriend's little sister. I'm 17 and I'm here to provide the teenage perspective on Euphoria. Beth asked me why I started watching it and to be honest it was just because my friend offered for me to watch it on her Amazon Prime account for free so that was literally the only reason but I really liked it and I thought that it was a really good representation on teenage life and that the characters and the relationships really reflect the culture and drama that is being 16, 17 and 18. I think the main thing that I picked up that I picked up on was just the obsession with sex and virginity and that people's value was just based on their sex life and their appearance. And I think this really played into the sexualization of women and like kind of how the male characters would just use that when it benefited them and when they liked it, but when they didn't, like they would just slut shame the female characters. This was especially seen with Cassie and McKay, I think, that like he loved the way that she dressed and he loved like how sexual she was when it benefited him but when it started to not look so good on him or like that's what he perceived like he really slut shamed and criticized her for it and I think that definitely reflects what it's like to be a teenager. Let's stop her there because there's already a lot to unpack in that. The first bit that she said which is about kind of the sexualization aspect being true 
of how se- yeah. how sexualized young girls are and how kind of like the yeah. the, the storyline between Cassie and McKay and I think yeah. what Louise is talking about is um kind of so Cassie is kind of known for being this kind of big boobed babe yeah she's like a knockout yeah she's super and has hot. been a knockout since she was like. 12 like that's her identity it's like yeah knockout people love me yeah and she's a people pleaser she's kind of like very much every boy the whole storyline with her is that every boyfriend she's had that everything they've asked her for she's given like whether that be sex or nudes or etc um and but also not necessarily coerced yeah they've coerced her into and she's yeah that's true it's not really fair to be like she did this she was often coerced into things by boyfriends i think she's been used by a lot of boys in the show as we know it in present day, she's going out with a guy called McKay who's in college. Um, meanwhile, she's in high school. And he is kind of really into her, but because his friends sexualize her because they've seen these nudes, she's got a bit of a reputation. He then treats her worse because of the way his friends talk about her. Yeah. Is that fair to say? That's exactly what it is, isn't it? He's like, it's like what Louise was saying is that he wanted, he wants her to be this like, beautiful knockout like this arm candy this like thing mm-hmm. when it suits him but then as soon as it like the repercussions of that of like people staring at her of her wearing the short dress and, the, and like the low cut top as soon as that encroaches in on I guess his ego then it's like no 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 I think that what Louise was saying is just sad it's just sad that that the hetero relationships in this show are devastating mm. they're like None of the men are treating any of the women well. And it's, and this is the part that I'm like, all right, Sam Levison, is that like most of the female characters, apart from Rue, who I'm assuming it's not said, but she seems pretty gay. And, <laughs> and Rue, who else? Not even Kat. Like most of them are treated like literal shit I know and that's this is the main problem I have with the show yeah is that while I think Louise has a point yes there is that hypersexual sexualization when you're at that age and like it's sad to me that 10 years later I'm 10 years older than her that's still going on that makes Mm. me sad Mm. I do I do hope that there are teenage relationships heterosexual teenage relationships that aren't as exploitative as the ones in euphoria and i know that i was in ones that weren't that bad yeah not every sexual encounter i had as a teenager was a coercive one and i'm i think that's where euphoria over i think that's my problem with the show is i think it overplays the coercive nature of sex i think there is for me what's missing is an empowering sex scene between a girl and a boy where everyone wants to be there yeah well I mean like are we gonna watch the show of like Alice and Dan go off to McDonald's and then go home and watch Buffy (laughs) (laughs) no but like there's a love story in there that's not that's not coercive and that's not oppressive well I guess the um the 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 relationship between Kat and that the the only nice young man in it. I forget his name. I have no idea what his name is. <laughs> I mean, neither. But he's lovely. He's like sweet, and he like likes her, and like goes down on her. Yes. Yeah. 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 That seems like could be a healthy a healthy relationship. Yeah. But there's this thing that happens in this show is that the so the women in it aren't they're treated like shit, but they are given enough scope and space to be to be their own self. You can see what they're doing. They're not just like pieces of like they're not just like doormats and we're all just wiping our feet on them they have some agency within it and every time but this is the thing that's a little bit like ugh, 
is that every time they try to strive, they are just brought down. Yeah. And I guess because that is that is television, you know. I mean, it doesn't have to be, but I think in the context of this show, nobody seems to be coming out a winner, which is surprising as to why. Like, why? Why am I watching this? This is just trash. But yeah, and I think that's just is what it is. It's disappointing, definitely. Um, am I loving it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you see, I'm not loving it. Like, I don't love to see teenage girls being exploited and coerced into sex for a whole season. I found it really uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. And I know it's meant to make me feel uncomfortable, but I'm like, yeah, babes, I've I've lived it. I've been in yeah. I've been in those situations. I don't need to see it four four times an episode. Yeah. Written by a guy who's not been in that situation. I assume probably yeah. has. In well, we've all been in coercive situations, but has he had the teenage girl experience of that? No. So I for me I found that really uncomfortable and it's the mm. thing that put me off the show. I'm comparing it to Sex Education, which is obviously like a much more lighthearted version of Euphoria without the addiction storyline. And is like obviously a lot more about actually, yeah, there are coercive situations. Yeah, there are dodgy situations with sex. But there are some really empowering and fun and silly moments of sex in Sex Education, which mm. I think Euphoria could have done with. Mm. We never see an empowering sexual situation actually take place. Kat and her nice young man, we never see them have sex properly when they're together. Mm. We only see them have sex when she's being weird and uh, like he's, they're both really drunk. We'd never see Rue and Jules have sex. Mm. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing that I was like, yeah, we're not, we're not given that. Yeah. We're still chasing that high. And I think, I mean, yeah, this is all, this is all bad stuff. The way that I think about it is that I think, I think, I mean, I hope so, that it was like a, uh, an artistic choice on his behalf because at the at the base of this this is a story about addiction mm-hmm. from made by somebody who has and I've like watched some interviews with him and what heard him talk about his you know his process la 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 who has gone through like severe severe addiction when he was of that age and the reality of it is that addiction is bleak and the, like Louise said is that it's 10 year whatever it still happens that mm-hmm. that that does happen i do think that it's yeah, it's sad and it's brutal. But the thing is is there's not a single sex scene which is enjoyable to watch. And I don't mean that in like a pervy way, like I want to no, see no, them I all bang. I mean I mean there's there's no sex scene where you're like, this person is empowered and this person wants to do this and I think that's a failing of the show because that's not real life either. Yeah. It's not real life that every single sexual experience under the age of twenty is is horrendous. That's yes. not true. I completely agree with you that that isn't that doesn't get shown, and I don't think it's a failing of the sh- of the show. I don't think that the show is saying we are here to in- empower teens to be sexually explorative and like empowered. Okay, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. No, that's not the point. And like listening to. Sam Levison's talk about his process is that he's like, this isn't reality. Mm. And this also, I don't think, is a show that is... I don't think their target audience is like 16-year-olds like, here, come, this is how you should live. No, and I read a good, but, I read a good interview that was like, basically, it's actually more about, for older people, having empathy mm. for younger people. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. It, I do think that Gen Z is going to save the world, hopefully. Or not, they'll just give us memes to laugh at until we dissolve into a puddle. Yeah, it's just expert TikTok skills is what I'm looking towards Gen Z for all the yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, Gen Z, Gen Z, the Gen Z that I've interacted with because 
I was living in America up until like a year ago for like four years. So like this little zone, this little like, you know, kids, suburban kids who dress really, really nice and like have nice eye makeup and, and are dead fucking cool. I feel like, not that I've hung out with them, but I, it doesn't seem too far away from reality. Like mm. I don't think they live, the, live these lives, but I've like seen people who exist in that way. And those guys really fucking know how to like organize it's funny they're all like oh i'm so depressed i'm gonna like lol 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 memes about depression and then next thing you know they've like organized an insane rally and like are, like doing sit-ins on the highway like these guys yeah. really they know what's up mm. and they also explore gender and explore gayness in a way that is just it just seems like secondhand nature to them in this part of the world not to say that that's everywhere yeah and i think it is really important to note that um i'm really interested in the sort of differences between generations and how realistic that is and i read a really good piece where i think it was in the new yorker mm. which was like actually the differences between generations are not that massive right that actually it's you're much more likely to share political beliefs based on a sort of location and education combination than you mm. are on age. Mm. So, for example, I'm much more likely to have the same political beliefs as like a 50 year old person living in North London who's had who did a degree in languages and is working in marketing than I am with like a 27 year old girl working in, I don't know, working in a farm in Yorkshire and that's probably true if you think about it like that so there has been some really interesting studies that say actually these differences between generations which are really stoked at the moment are mm. really culture warry mm. they're not actually as big as we think and there's a lot more factors like education class and location mm. so I really want to say that because I, I'm not a big fan of you're 10 years on, younger or older than me so you're this way and that yeah. way um, but I do think definitely the way that sexuality gender are talked about Seems to be super cool from the kids on TikTok, at least. <laughs> I mean, it is cool. Breaking news. <laughs> I'm happy that I got in there first when it wasn't cool. Oh, yeah. You were here before it was cool to be gay. Here in the times of bullying. Love in the times of bullying. <laughs> love, in the, love in the times of bullying, yeah. yeah. Love in the times of, you know, slurs in the street. So cool. Let's. There's another bit of Louise's voice note that I wanted us to chat about, which is about that sexuality part. I think that the only thing that I would say that isn't so representative of teenage life is the, like, normalisation of gay relationships and, like, the kind of, like, fluidity of sexuality that is, like, very open in the show. And, of course, that is definitely something that a lot of people explore at this age. But I wouldn't say necessarily in the UK that it's that normalised and it's that, like, open. But... Like, I think that that was probably included in the in the show, and I think it was really important that it was included in the show for the reasons of, like, normalising it rather than it being representative of teenage life. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I think... I think it is culturally relevant. I do think that this isn't wildly... Like, I don't... I think people are gay in America way more. People are gay close to big cities or in big cities in America way more than they are in England. I feel like England, the whole of England, apart from gay little North London, maybe Brighton, maybe Bristol, is just like <laughs> chronically in the closet. I I think that being gay in the UK is actually hard unless you live in one of the big cities. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And that is, yeah, and that people, I just, people... 
Yeah, I mean, I'm. I, it feels acute to me because I've just come back from living in a place where everybody was fucking gay. <laughs> and like... <laughs> that was New Orleans. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Like, yeah, we, me and my friends used to joke that like, she's not not dating me because she's not gay. She's not dating me because I'm trash. It's like, <laughs> you just didn't even think about it. And then like to come back to a place where suddenly it like people... Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's the thing about England is or the UK is that everybody is like, oh, it's fine. We're good. I don't hate gays. That's fine. Yes. I'll chat to a gay. Yes. Mm. But nobody's like, I'm down to fucking clown with the gays. Like actually celebrating what it means to be gay, not celebrating. Oh, this person looks just like me and they happen to be gay. Yeah, he's a sound guy. He's gay. Did you know? No, would never have guessed. It's like that. I think we're far away from that. Like I have a thing at the moment where. When people, I've moved to the countryside, Wales, and mm. so from New Orleans to the countryside in Wales. Yeah, it is. It is night and day, my love. <laughs> <laughs> Where people will say to me, like, "Gay? No." And for listeners listening at home, I literally look like the gayest person in the world. I have like <laughs> short blonde mullet. I wear a roll neck. I'm like, I'm dressed like I don't know what am I dressed. I'm dressed like a clown. Crossed with Steptoe and Son. Like, I am signalling gay. And <laughs> so that's when you're, so somebody might say, you got a boyfriend, Al? And you say, I no, say, no, big gay here. And uh, they say, what? Yeah, they say, oh, do you, can I take you on a date? And I say, excuse me, young man. <laughs> <laughs> I am offended. Yeah. You know, and, it, and that is offensive. I think people would be, it is offensive. It is offensive to come up to somebody who is signalling gay and be like, never. <laughs> no, wouldn't have guessed. You're so beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think no, that's offensive. Yeah, to be like, oh, but you're so hot. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, really, really, are you? Have you? You know, like, and all those mm. things are just just ingrained in the culture. And I think, and like, but I mean, you weren't in rural Alabama. You were in New Orleans, which has obviously got a massive creative scene and like uh, yeah. a really sort of, you know, a big gay population. And so I think like you are you are comparing night and day. And I think maybe. I don't know, Northern Quarter, Manchester, Canal, Canal Street, Manchester. Would you have everyone's gay vibes? I mean, I honestly have everyone's gay vibes living here. Yeah, but you live in, like, we're, we're sat in Brick Lane, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, like, I, moved back to, I moved back to Portsmouth when I, when I first turned out. I mean, this is wildly off subject. <laughs> this is wildly off subject. I moved back to Portsmouth and there... I, I went like I remember went went to Gunwharf. This is a city like this is a city with like three hundred thousand people in it. I went to Gunwharf and I was what like, "What the fuck is Gunwharf?" Gunwharf is like, oh, <laughs> what is it? It's like all those like, <laughs> excuse me, you don't know what Gunwharf is. Gunwharf Keys, never been. Um, it's like a big shopping centre and. Um, you know, with all the little outlets. And I remember walking around there and I'd been back a month or something and I could just feel people staring at me and I was just like, this just feels terrible. Mm. Um, and I think it's a thing that people don't really talk about much in the UK. People don't want to think that we have work to be done and there's work to be done in all sorts of things. Yeah. But I think you're totally right. And I think I... Obviously, I haven't spent that much time in the US, but I've been to San Francisco and I had, like, the gay. most super gay there... We're talking. Do you know what's fucking? <laughs> do you know what's interesting though is like the two places I've been like called like oi Dyke yeah. is San Francisco and Brighton. Right. Do you like Dyke? Uh, not when it's just shouted at me by a like drunk man in the street. No, I don't yeah. mind Dyke when I'm being like, oh, you big Dyke. But 
<laughs> but I wouldn't want, I don't like people to shout dyke at yeah, me. Enough, I'm yeah. like, you excuse me, sir. Um, excuse me, it's lesbian. Yeah. Actually, if we're being correct, it's bi. I'm actually a bisexual. <laughs> I used to have long hair. Anyway, yeah, and a boyfriend. I used to have a boyfriend and long hair, actually. Excuse me. <laughs> you can check my Facebook albums from 2016. But uh, I, I think basically there is this idea of the UK is very, very progressive on, on all things queer. And I don't think that's true. And I think definitely for young kids at secondary school and college and high school or whatever you want to call it, there is still this homophobia. What else do we want to get off our chests about Euphoria? Kat. Kat is an interesting person, I think. Because Kat... Okay, so Kat is... She described, you know, she's this girl. So, okay, so a cool thing about Euphoria is that um, at the beginning of every episode, they have this like 10 minute opening section where they go from childhood to where they are now of each individual character every episode. And one of the episodes focuses on Kat. Kat is this kid who uh, around, I think it's like 12 or 13, goes on holiday and becomes addicted to pina coladas virgin pina coladas <laughs> which i thought was hilarious and drinks so many pina coladas on this one holiday that she puts on like two stone and obviously she's a 12 year old and short and so everyone notices when she gets back to high school or gets back to school and then her boyfriend dumps up dumps her and it's all you know horrible and then you know and she grows up and she's like considers herself fat and therefore undesirable and she her character goes on this transformation of cat is cat and she's like she's seen as frumpy and like the funny girl but not the sexy girl mm. and then at one party in the pilot mckay's party pivotal um she loses her virginity to this honestly greb fucking <laughs> I don't remember who the Greb was. He's like this white boy with a tiny moustache with his top oh, off. Oh, yeah, he's a who's fucking like, minger. I hate Who's him. like, fat girls give the best head. <gasps> yes. Oh, that whole scene made me very It's cross. terrible. I but it's so terrible cross. on purpose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and she checks this guy um, with these two young boys in the room too. Maybe they're not there. Uh, um, and then the next day she turns up to school and she is, there's a video of it. And everyone's got the video of her getting fucked by this guy from the behind, so you can't see who it is. And then, mm-hmm. then it's the whole day of like, is this you? She gets called into the principal's office. Is this you? She denies, denies, denies. And then she tries to get the the you know she goes on this mission to get the um, to get the video taken down. She manages to find the guy and get it taken down. But by that time, it's already uploaded onto porn, you know, you porn or whatever. I don't know because obviously I don't watch porn. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know any of those sites. <laughs> And, um, <laughs> Bookmarked every single one. Yeah. <laughs> Hot Leathers watch Anamite. I hope that's the name of the film. Anyway. Is uh, it not Anamite? No. <laughs> <laughs> I've been pronouncing it. Been... <laughs> In my head, I've been pronouncing it Anamite. <laughs> Is it not? Do you know when I first saw Sis Het yeah. written down together, I thought it was Sachet? Like Sachet. Yeah, like Sachet. And it was like these like memes. Like a Sachet of salt. Yeah. yeah. Like people ragging on these like Sachet men, like ugh, Sachet men. I was like, they sound fancy. <laughs> French men. I always find them to be so sweet. Oh my um, God. Um, wait, where were we? Anamita. So Kat um, gets her unfortunate sexual encounter yes. loaded to Pornhub. And she's kind of horrified by that isn't she yeah, but then she realizes that she's just racking up the views and that there are in the comments there are these people being like oh my god this person is incredible what i would give you know like you know just like all good comment sections and all on all good respectable websites and from that she develops this power that is like oh actually 
I am sexy, I am desirable. And from this she becomes a cam girl, she starts making money, and she has like a 180 on who she is. She starts dressing like... She's just, she's not in any way trying to hide who she is. And there's this great line in it when she's like, there is nothing more powerful than a fat bitch that doesn't give a shit. Mm. And it's so fucking true. It's very true. There there is nothing that is as just like intoxicating and just like flooring as somebody who is like, fuck all of you, I am fucking powerful. Mm. And you just, and you watch them, you know, float through the world. But I really, I really like Kat. I mean, obviously this is euphoria, so it all comes crashing down for her, you know, like in certain ways and she becomes unable to, she becomes, she like wasn't ever desired and then becomes hyper desired and Mm. then all she sees herself is something to be desired. Yeah. And that causes troubles within like genuine relationships that she could have in her life. Yeah. But... With the unnamed sweet young man who the, can't oh remember his name. Oh, can't remember who he is. Probably he's like Carl. Oh, Jason. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> name he's got, boy. He's got a classic boy name. Yeah. Oh, lovely ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, really nice. Oh. And I think that's exactly it, isn't it? Is that she finds this empower, empowerment from this cam work, mm. but actually, even though she does have the upper hand in a lot of situations, she's still actually, she's. Because they're paying her, she is still kind of under their spell and sort of of in a risky situation once or twice. Yeah. And I mean, also, the thing that we are ignoring here is that she is also 16. Yes, exactly. And like, and this is, this is, this is my main issue with Euphoria is that all of the, this, this show is hypersexualized. All the characters in it are hypersexualized. And they are all under the age of 18, which in America is just like absolutely illegal and probably should be illegal here. Also... The actors are not under the age of 18. Yeah, but they're playing, I mean... They're playing children, yeah. And that's that's, that's a problematic thing. That is problematic. It's problematic for somebody, me, 29, like, being like, wow, these people really are fucking sexy. Yeah, exactly. And I've talked about this loads on the podcast, of this thing of, like, what does it mean to cast grown-up people in children's roles? I mean, Zendaya, she was born in 96, so she's, like, what, 25? Yeah, mega fan. Nice one. Yeah, no, I know. I've done a lot. But what's her star sign? Gemini. Um, I would absolutely love to know. Should we look? Yeah, let's get one. <laughs> anyway, so she's twenty five, which is obviously a big. That's big grown up age. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and maybe a little bit less than that when this was being video- videoed. When they were put, when they were putting this on VCR. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma in the back, not Generation Z over there. Um, <laughs> 1st of September, so that would make her a Virgo. Yeah, classic, of course. Overachiever. All Virgos achieve, don't they? What's Hunter Schaefer? Hunter Schaefer. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. 22 years old. Yep, that's 31st of December. Ooh, Capricorn. Capricorn. What's a Capricorn trait? I think Capricorns are like, um, usually they have like blonde hair and like good eye makeup. Usually they have blonde hair. Oh, very good. So obviously Sam Levinson, our our protagonist, he's <laughs> yeah. he's um he said in an interview that I watched, which I thought was very good, mm-hmm. he said that actually the show isn't for teenagers, it's yeah. not a playbook for teenagers, it's for older people to empathize with young people. And we've mentioned that today. Do you think the show succeeds at doing that? I think it does. I think it does. I think because the show isn't 
isn't striving to get this idea of a reality. Well, I think I've got a quote from him that's like, the show isn't about reality, it's about emotional reality. And emotional reality or emotions in general transcend the age brackets, you know. And I've seen some interviews with people talking about it that's like, I am a 50-year-old man from New Jersey and I identify with Rue. And like I am a te- like I am a teenager and I identify with how the girls are being um, treated, you know, all that stuff. And I think I think that's the thing that makes this show so good is that like emotions are palpable. And like if you're a person who likes like I am, like likes to think about them and like live your life in an emotional way, then this show is just like fucking bread and butter, like all day every day. Put some salt on top. Mm. Eat that. Eat that. Eat that. Delicious. Yeah. Um, another thing that Sam Levinson said about the show is that uh, there is a there is this consistent anxiety that I think exists in this generation that I think informed the whole filmmaking process. Is that something that you felt or yeah. related to? I did. I actually spoke to a friend of mine about this, Jean Bingham, who is a great lady and super into you know everything she's great and I was like Jean what are your thoughts on it I know that you love it and she was like well the thing that she took away from the most of it is that it is a it's chaos the whole thing is chaos and in the like one of the very first things that are said in the very first episode is that Rue is born two days after 9-11 and 9-11 just completely changed America post 9-11 America is just fear and I think 9-11 was used as this thing to just, like, surveil and clamp down. I really do think that 9-11 has, has changed the world, It coming from America, coming from the way that, like, governments interact with their people. And, like, there's this funny thing about, like, surveillance. These kids are surveilled constantly through their phones. They're surveilling each other. Like, the internet is a big part of this show, and their phones are a big part of this show. And I think that they yeah these people have been born into a world that doesn't know what it was like before the government was telling us that right around the corner everything was going to blow up yeah and they're also born into a world where they have never not been able to be like instantly contacted and they're also born into a world where instagram is and tiktok are just like things that are just second nature and nudes weren't a thing when i was 17 mm. you could barely bloody take pictures on a phone when i was 7 it looked I like know. a sieve and well, interestingly, they were a bit of a thing when I was seventeen. But I think that was like on a BBM. I mean, <laughs> there was like a BlackBerry. I remember there was a BlackBerry nude that got sent around my school in year eleven. So that was sixteen. Oh yeah, you know what? There was webcam stuff. That yeah, happened. there was a lot of webcamming. There was a lot of MSN. Yeah, naughty business on MSN. But and there... that was a big safeguarding concern of the era. Oh yeah. But nowadays, it's worse. It's so much worse because it's. The cameras are so much better for one. I know, you can see everything. (laughs) How many pubes? Yeah, well, indeed, you can see absolutely everything. It's very terrifying. And I think that's really true. And that that is a real anxiety that's there and that I I can feel is is a big problem. Speaking to teachers, I know, and everyone... And I think, you know, the other thing you mentioned about 9-11 is really, really true. Like, there's a really excellent podcast about the repercussions of 9-11 that's called 9-12, as in the day after. And everyone should listen to that podcast. It's amazing. They said there's a quote in it, which is that 9-11 was made to be used. Mm. And it's this whole thing of, like, actually, you're 100% right, the surveillance, the, uh, the paranoia. 
mm. and the fear of other that came through 9-11 and also 775 Wings in the UK as well is very present. And there is a distinctive feel to when you consume media from the 90s and you consume media from the noughties, they've got a really different feel. And I think that's a huge marker. And I think that's exactly what they did by writing in that Rue was born straight after 9-11. Yeah. And I love the idea of like... It's a very therapy type thing to say that like a traumatic birth is a really big marker of having mental health issues down the road. Mm. And she didn't have a traumatic birth, but she was born after 9-11 and they have a really grief stricken birthing process. I think that's a really interesting sort of like magical flavor to have put yeah. in. The hormone, yeah, the grief hormone just flooding into the baby as it's born. There's so much about like how your birth affects the rest of your life. Yeah, there's I'm loads. for it. No, I think it's a really interesting. I think yeah. it's a really interesting topic. I think what Euphoria does really well is it actually says the good line in it about sexting, about like, oh, you think it's like you older folk think sexting is the fault of the person who sends the sex or something. It's, I'm paraphrasing, but the the truth is, is this is how people get with each other in this day and age. Like this is how people get together as they sext. Do and you I like think to sext. I don't sext personally. Well, you live with the person you sex, so <laughs> There's, we barely text at all. <laughs> it's phone. It's landline. <laughs> we just have walkie-talkies. <laughs> what do you want for dinner? Yeah, I'm in Sainsbury's. Over. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's a really. It's a really interesting one. I love, I do love that Euphoria hasn't got any blame for these kids. It's not uh, a didactic. It's not a lecture. It's, this is the, re this is the reality. This is a darker version of the reality for most. Um, and these are the reasons this happens, which I think is really important. Mm. What, like, story is a big, big part. Character development is a big, big part. But an, an, a huge part of Euphoria is how it looks. Welcome to my podcast, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Um, what do you what, what do you think about that? The way it looks. The way it looks. Like, I love the way it looks. I love the way it looks. I, it looks like somebody's rubbed Vaseline on top of the cam the camera screen. It's yeah. so um, it's so sexy and sordid and glittery. And I love the bits where like uh, Rue and Jules are putting like glittery makeup. Mm. Oh, actually, sorry, it's um, Jules and Anna, isn't it? They're just like rubbing glitter on each other and like doing each other's makeup. And I just, oh, it's just such a gorgeous, glitzy, sordid shot. I love it. Yeah, it's lush, isn't it? Luscious. It's, it's <laughs> I what it, it looks like, it looks like neon signs through the rain, the whole thing. Mm, that's exactly what it looks like. And uh, it's just so nice, so nice to watch. And it's obviously, I mean, like everything is intentional. And the way that there's, there's the cinematography and like, the shot choice. This is a high budget production as well. Like mm. these guys, these guys were not doing it on a pretty penny. Well, Sam Levinson's dad is like a massive filmmaker, so it's probably where. Yeah, and it's HBO, <laughs> so they they've just got cash. To yeah, fart. they they big they big boys. Yeah, and it's like you know, there's just a couple there's a couple shots that just re really stick in my mind. There's one in the um, in the pilot where Rue is like at this point. She's come out of rehab. The, the whole thing starts because Rue has an overdose, like a serious overdose, and is found by her sister, like, dying. Mm -hmm. And then the first episode is her waking up, coming out of um, rehab, which, by the way, is heartbreaking. There's this scene where she walks down the, the hall, and it's the first time she's seen her sister since she realised that she's just fucked her sister's life. 
and she's just being a goofball and I just oh Oh no, she's They're trying to make the situation so light, so light, and she's still wearing her gown. Oh yeah, my god, so hard. That's yeah, it's terrible. Anyway, so she comes out of um, she comes out of hospital. Comes out of hospital. She goes to a party. She instantly starts taking drugs again, and this like incredible scene where she's taken some sort of like designer LSD or something. It's some hallucinogen, and the whole shot just rotates and she's like walking around on this like rotating like like she's tripping like the walls become the floor become the ceiling become the walls become the floor and I think I read that that was all that's not CGI that was like an actual stage that they built and then turned her through which is stop it yeah which is wild and there's these great scenes where they're like cycling there's a lot of cycling in this film I do you know what when I watched it because obviously I, I hadn't watched it until you recommended it to me when I watched it, I was like, why has Alice recommended me this program? <laughs> and I was like, well, number one, there's a lot of fucking bikes. Yeah. <laughs> and my girl Al loves to cycle. Yeah. <laughs> and Premium Rush, seen that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is this is this all about the is this all about the cycling? And then the other thing was that, yeah, you are a sucker for a girl like Jules, yeah. Uh, you say that to me and it that feels like a, a knife through my ego heart. A knife through your ego heart. <laughs> well, you know when you like, I, I like to think of myself as like a very round, well-rounded person who's like, you know, dealt with everything that they've ever, ever gone, you know, good and feet on the ground, great lesbian. And then pathological though. When you said that to me, I was like, wow. And then you like, you take account for the people that you've dated and you're like, Fucking hell, yeah. I think it's when you were like, you're a sucker for a girl who's like effervescent with a with like a good smile and something to say. And I was like, oh god. Yeah. Also, who isn't? Who isn't? I think Jules is too flighty for some. Not everybody wants a flighty, charismatic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Flighty, charismatic blonde. But some people do. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I can really. I know. Maybe it's not even Jules's character. I think it's. The intensity of the love between Rue and Jules yeah. is something that a lot of lesbians can relate to. Yeah. Well, I think lesbians are intense in the way that they love each other. Yeah, I really think so. And I don't know if that's because the but the bubble is smaller, so you find your one person, you're like, well, I'll never find another one. <laughs> so don't go anywhere. This is my pond, and uh, it's not. there's no more fish in the sea because I'm in a koi carp pond, and half the koi carp are actually by in there with men. <laughs> Half the koi carp have been to Urban Outfitters, but seem to have a boyfriend. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And that's that. <laughs> but there are a lot of bikes, yeah, there are a lot of bikes. <laughs> Wait, what are we trying to, what are we trying we to say? We were trying to talk about the shots and how sexy and how um, ethereal it is and magical it is. Yeah, I mean... Surreal is surreal. It that's is surreal. The, the whole thing, well, there are, so, there are many scenes... In and this is like relating to the idea of reality. There are many scenes within the whole thing where you're like, "Wait, is this real? Did this really happen?" Like the scenes at the beginning of the special episode. So in between, well, there's been season one. There was going to be season two, but because of the pandemic, this is what I've. I don't know if this is true. Again, this is something I could be making up. They shut down um, filming for season two, and in its place, they had these two special episodes, which are basically Rue talking to her sponsor Ali for an hour and Jules talking to her therapist for an hour and at, no at the beginning at the beginning of those that the, you see these two 
girls living together in New York mm. and it's hard because Rue overdoses again and you don't and you don't like you don't know if this is real or not. Mm. And there are so many times within the whole series where you're like, is this real? Is this real or not? And a lot of the times it's not real. Mm. So Actually, that's such a good point. And I think that's a classic GCSE English unreliable narrator thing, yeah. isn't it? You're like, is Rue telling the truth? Like, is this really happening? And I think that's definitely a really cool thing to do in a show about addiction because you're like, actually, when you're on a lot of drugs, you you don't know what's real and what's not. Yeah, yeah I think that's it. I think, the, the, yeah, everything is intentionally meant to make you feel like you are coming on and coming off drugs <laughs> in this thing. And it fucking does a good job it of that. It does, it does. <laughs> and, like, I, yeah, I, if you're a person like I am who struggles with substance use from time from time to time, God, that sounds like a deflection. Anyway, whatever. I'll talk about that <laughs> with my therapist. <laughs> um, I think that this this is a show that you can like really, really relate to. The idea of like the ultra highs and the mega lows and like how addiction or struggles with those things change the way you view everything in your in your life. And they go a lot into this into this special episode that um, there is. I think like that's exactly it. Addiction distorts. Reality. I'm. I'm. I've never been an addict, but I can imagine that being on drugs a lot of the time distorts reality. Yeah. And I think, like, I think, I think the filming and the pace of the show is intentionally meant to make you feel the highs and lows that Rue is feeling. Yeah, and like addiction is like every every. What's interesting is that every character in this show is affected by addiction closely in some way. If it's like Cassie and her dad is a drug addict, her mum is a lush, an absolute lush. Mm. Maddie, her dad is an alcoholic, can't keep a job. Mm. Nate and his dad, he is, his dad, you could say that his dad is like addicted to this idea of like succession and power. It, it, I think basically what this show is saying is that addiction is everywhere. Definitely. And I think... It really relates back in my mind to the consistent anxiety of the show and the whole thing of Rue being born after 9-11. It's like, actually, we are living in a very anxious society, a very unstable, especially even more with the COVID pandemic, even more with the political bipartisanship and all this kind of thing. That we're, like, we're living in really anxious times. Yeah. How do we deal with that? It's, it's addiction and it's substances and it's outlets like sex and it's outlets like consumerism and it's how are we dealing with those things and I think that's exactly what the show does really well yeah yeah and I think that's just what it is and like I think that that's why the show is bleak this show is just like a fucking yeah nihilist stream finally if you were going to persuade somebody to watch somebody who'd never heard of Euphoria never never heard of Zendaya mm -hmm. never heard of a Gen Z how would you <laughs> <laughs> completely alien to this world how would you persuade someone to watch it I'd be like, if you want to lose yourself in something that is, that is, you, do, you won't think about anything else, you will be thinking about this. If you want to be like pulled into something that's going to make you feel, that is visceral, that is in, truly, I mean like, we're all like, I'm like, this is brutal, but it is entertaining. I think what you said was right, it's visceral, it's lush. I think a reason to watch it, I think it is the empathy thing. I think it's the thing of, having empathy for people younger than you who are going through something that you haven't experienced. Everyone's got an origin story on that show. Yeah. Everybody's 
got um, reasons why the, they're using whatever it is, drugs, sex, webcam, sex work, to cure the ills of society. And that's really important. Yeah. This is the reason. Okay, the reason why I think that someone should watch Euphoria is because it is something to measure yourself up to. It's like, it's not like all these things happen and you will have opinions on it. And these opinions will drive you or drove me to think about my life and how I act. And that is fun for me. And if you enjoy that, plus it looks great, plus there are so many outfit options. Really good outfits. Halloween for the next 80 years. <laughs> Jewels on a Monday. Yeah, really, really Jewels good. on Tuesday. Jules looks fantastic all the time. They all they all look fantastic all the time, mm-hmm. and that's fun. And it, like, if you want to see something that's like innovative in the way that it's shot, and something that is truly intentional, then go and watch Euphoria, folks. Love it, fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and for giving your opinions. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Instagram at TVChangeMe or on Twitter at TVChangeMePod. If you liked the show, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. And if you're interested, you have a TV story to tell, please get in touch. We're always looking for new people to come on and talk about it. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't have to have a bajillion Twitter followers. You just have to have a story about television and like a good chin like. Anyway, I think that's everything. Bye.